From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. Monday morning hits hard, you know. And so I wanted to sort of elevate that weekend feeling, that mood into the weekday. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Sarah Copeland. Sarah is the author of Every Day is Saturday, Recipes and Strategies for Easy Cooking Every Day of the Week. She's also written two other cookbooks, including her first, The Newlywed Cookbook, and contributed to more. Now, Sarah has also worked for a number of magazines, from Oprah Mag to Glamour to helping launch the Food Network magazine. She's the former food director of Real Simple magazine, and today she contributes recipes to outlets like the New York Times and Savour. So in today's show, we're talking with Sarah Copeland about how she develops recipes for her cookbooks and other food media, about how a cookbook by Diana Henry impacted her work significantly, and about how she tackles weekend-style cooking all week long in her latest book. And of course, at the end of the show, we're playing a little weeknight meals game. Don't miss that. We've also got two recipes from Every Day is Saturday, Johnny Cakes with Rhubarb and Sour Cherries, and a recipe for her chocolate chip cookie for Modern Times. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Sarah Copeland joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good, Brian. It's so good to be here. Yeah, thank you. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. So we're here to talk about your third solo cookbook, Every Day is Saturday, which I want to get back to in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today and writing this third cookbook of yours. So... Like me, actually, your your career sort of started in journalism. That's you went right. to journalism school. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the path you thought you were going to take, like sort of independent of food, right? Right. Totally independent of food. I just loved writing and I loved photography and I loved storytelling. And you thought you'd be a writer post-college. Like yeah. You, you sort of started working at magazines. Is that right? Right. I moved to New York like two days after graduation and got a job at Glamour Magazine. Okay. It wasn't like a perfect... It was a perfect first job for a sure. young woman out of college, but it wasn't like a perfect fit for my interests necessarily. But there they were like, oh, just, you know, kind of explore and play. And I wrote a piece about Jamie Oliver um, when okay. he was like a totally unknown. And I was like, there's this really, you know, for Glamour Magazine, like a really cute young guy right. called The Naked Chef. I think right. that would make a great story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they let me write about it. And that was the very first kind of dappling in food writing. Okay. And is that sort of when that interest in food started? <clears throat> really, it started before that. Okay. I mean, as a career... As a career, yes. I really okay. even was later than that. Because okay. um, after that, I went to Oprah Magazine. And I was at Oprah Magazine when 9-11 happened. And it was just a time in everybody's lives where you were like, life is short. Let's see what this is about. And I decided to go to culinary school kind of as as a fun hobby. I thought it would be great okay. to be like the girl who could throw the best dinner parties. I <laughs> never thought it would become a career. I really thought it would be just so great to know the ins and outs and to be able to cook fabulously, to know more about wine. You know, when you go out to these great restaurants in New York City or when you're traveling to San Francisco or wherever to say like, oh, I know exactly what that is and be able to order well. It was just kind of a self-education at the beginning. Okay. That's so interesting. But I, I read in your book too that your dad said that your food bugs sort of started or your cooking bugs maybe 
maybe started when you were in high school. That's right. And you would cook at lunch. Oh, that's right. I forgot I wrote about that. That's so <laughs> yeah. good that you picked up on that. Yes. He used to say that, so we had open campus in high school. Okay. And a lot of the kids wanted to go to like Taco Bell or McDonald's. And I've always kind of been like, Ugh, not, not for me. And so a group of four friends and I would come home to my parents' house every single day. We were like five, 10 minutes from campus. Uh-huh. And um, my dad would say, no matter what, he'd say, okay, that's fine, but there's nothing in the fridge. And no matter how little there was in the fridge, he said, every day I would whip up something, you know, fabulous, good enough at least that they all wanted to come back the next day. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> so that is definitely one of my favorite things is kind of making something out of nothing, like sure. opening the fridge and seeing. And that's something I want to teach too, that when you open the fridge, you don't just see a list of ingredients and think, what is that going to become? But you can start to see possibilities. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So at some point, then you become the food director of Real Simple Magazine. That's right. So you sort of are like fully committed to this food <laughs> media yes. path. Um, how did you approach recipe development? And how did that sort of influence you once you started actually working in the food media industry? Um, that's a great question. So when my first um, recipe development job was actually after culinary school, I did an internship at Red Book Magazine. Okay. And I was still staying in magazines, but they said, oh, we had this quick fix um, section in the back of the back of the book that was like four short form recipes. And that okay. was my very first published piece. And then I went on to do, you know, several cookbooks at Food Network and um, different magazines, worked at intern at Sever, did some work for food and wine, things like that. But um, one of the thi- one of the places that really was formative for me was at Food Network because it was at the beginning and kind of the glory days and we had big income and big, you know, big budgets. And so sure. we would test everything like 14 times before yeah. we would put it in print. So I would make these nerdy charts. Like if we were going to do a chocolate chip cookie, I would look at like the 14, you know, and this was pre-viral right. <laughs> moment. So I would look at like, you know, ev- like Dory Greenspan's cookie and like anything like made a hat or whatever done and like all the big classic names in baking. And then I would make a chart of like, they did this much flour and this much, and I would do all these weird ratios. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to scientifically come up with the perfect recipe and then make it. And then there would be these surprises and you would tweak and tweak and tweak. Obviously these days things are happening so fast. You can't do that. Sure. And that was for Food Network Magazine, Food right? Network, which you helped well, launch. Right. Yeah. I was in the launch team for Food Network Magazine in the kitchen. Um, but before that, we, we did cookbooks as well. And oh, okay, so yeah. that was, you know, that's when we had the time. But once we started the magazine, it was just like any magazine where, you know, 22, 28 recipes a month, you really have to dive in and get going quickly sure. and come to a conclusion that it's either great, great enough to go in or not. Right. So did that change how you cooked at home then? I wouldn't say so much. I think Real Simple was a big turning point for me, even though it was the most recent in my career and I had a lot of cooking jobs in between. Uh um, I think that was the most, the biggest switch for me because I was always kind of a little bit of a luxurious cook in that, you know, I was married for part of this story and, you know, I I am married still, but, (laughs) you know, somewhere along the line I got married and I had, you know, one enthusiastic eater in my home. But, you know, when you live in New York City, you you go to great restaurants and there's not that pressure to put a meal on the table every night. You could, you could, or you could just go out somewhere great, kind of like here in San Francisco. Um, but when I was working at Real Simple, our audience was really women who have to do that every night. Not, not only women cook, obviously, but our specific audience was women. So these were people who put a lot of pressure on themselves to feed their families beautifully, but also had, you know, were highly educated, had big high pressure jobs and had a lot on their plate. And so it really made me think about like, I I don't think these women are soaking chickpeas. Like I used to do that. Yeah. And along the way, two kids came along and my family life. And so I didn't, 
also have time to soak chickpeas and wait like two days till I could cook them perfectly anymore. Sure. So that's when like a real shift started for me. Sure. And you wrote your first solo cookbook in 2011, I think, the yes. newlywed cookbook. How did that come about? Um, actually, I went to the Greenbrier Food Writers Workshop and I met okay. Bill LeBlonde, who was um, kind of an iconic, not kind of, an iconic <laughs> food editor here from Chronicle in San Francisco. And he kind of became a mentor. He was just very... Um, I mean, everyone there, Andrew Nguyen was there. And mm-hmm. I mean, um, Marco True from Sunset was there. It was just right. like this amazing group of food writers. And what was so great about Greenbrier, unlike other workshops or even IACP or something like that, is that it was very, very intimate. There were like, I think, 12 or 15 students. And we would have every meal with these great icons of food writing. And so, you know, you could have just millions of opportunities to say, well, I've got this little teeny idea. Um, and Bill actually said, I really love your writing. I think you have a great aesthetic. I think there's something great here for you. Do you want to write a cookbook? I'm like, uh, 100%. That's like my <laughs> yeah, dream. Sure. But I don't know exactly what I want my first cookbook to be. And there's always a thing with cookbook authors. Are you a generalist? Are you a specialist? And I have some specific things I adore, but do I want to spend three years writing about it? I'm not sure yet. So right. he actually approached me with the idea for the Nilo White Cookbook. Okay. And to be totally honest, I was like, oh, I'm not sure that's totally me. That seems a little sweet. Like a little, you know, I thought maybe I'd be doing something more serious the first time out of the gate. But actually what he tapped in on is that I love to tell stories. Sure. And I was newly married, totally mad about my new husband and loved cooking for him. Right. And I had a lot of stories to tell. That's awesome. I actually got that cookbook as a wedding gift when I got married several years ago. Great. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So you before, I think this, I'm trying to sort of place this in the timeline, but at some point you developed this recipe for a thousand layer chocolate chip cookies. Yes, that was in the Newlywed Cookbook. That was in the Newlywed yes. Cookbook. So it was for that book that right. you developed the recipe. Right. And that was sort of like pre, like the virality that we have today totally. of recipes going viral on all social media platforms and just like taking the internet by storm. Like we saw Alison Roman's right. cookies do. Right. So that was sort of a different time with that recipe, but it, it did go viral right. like it, in the sense that it could be viral in that sort of year. Right. Martha Stewart loved them. She made them. She brought you on the show, like all these things. How did that sort of, did that have an impact on the way you thought about recipes and recipe development to see a recipe sort of take off like that when that wasn't a thing that was yes, really happening regularly? Definitely. That would, that's such a great question. It was so interesting to me because um, even approaching something as iconic as the chocolate chip cookie was a little bit daring for my first book, sure. but I actually had been at that point going back and teaching at my culinary school, the Institute for Culinary Education in New York City. And one of the things that I thought was a great way to teach new bakers the way recipes work was just take a recipe they all knew already. So take the chocolate chip cookie. So what I used to do is take a group of like 12 or up to 20 students and we would take the Toll House chocolate chip cookie recipe and uh-huh. we would say, I would say, okay, you do it with dark brown sugar. You do it with coconut sugar. You do it with melted butter. You do it with shortening. Okay. You do it with, you know, we, almond flour. We would right. just tweak, tweak, tweak. They were only all allowed to make one change. They could choose, you know, their own change, but they could only make one change. And then we would line up these 22 cookies and examine why and how they were different. Sure. They all had to be baked at the same temperature, chilled the same amount of time. Right. So what did these tiny little tweaks do? And on that particular, one of the last classes I taught with that, 
I thought, oh gosh, I'm giving away a lot of trade secrets here. <laughs> um, at the last one I taught with that, while they were tinkering, I was like, I'm going to tinker. And so I decided to make it like I made my dough. I was like, I'm going to use a bunch of egg yolks, no whites. So it's really chewy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to chop up some chocolate and layer it like puff pastry. And I did it. And everyone in the class was like, holy moly, this is crazy. This is so good. And to me, I felt like it was worth the work because it was just something totally new right. for cookies, which is, you know, it's not every day you come up with something totally new because there's so many beautiful, amazing things that have been done. Right. Um, so it felt like a good moment for me to play, but also like, you know, having success with that was, was validating. Sure. Um, for sure early in my career as a cookbook author. Yeah, I can imagine. So your latest book is Every Day is Saturday, which obviously we established you have a journalism background. So I just want to say like, factually, that's not true. So can you tell <laughs> Thank us? Thank you. Thanks for pointing that out as like one like... Amazon <laughs> reviewer recently did today. Like, like every day is Saturday can't actually be Saturday. Right. So tell us what you mean when you say every day is Saturday. Um, well, my working title for the book was called The Weekend Cookbook, which oh, is a okay. little bit flat, but it, the idea was was that um, here I was at Real Simple working, you know, full long days um, with two kids at home for the first time in my life. I had been always, you know, freelance or working from home or right. I was a private chef in San Tropez. So I had like these flexible, fun jobs. But here I was in this kind of like very grown up, serious job working away from my family. And at work, I was eating very well. But when we'd go home, it was a little lackluster sure. to say the least. And okay. so we would go away on the weekends and just dive in, you know, go to the farmer's market, brunch for hours, the things that modern adults do on the weekend. And, you know, you just, I had never really been a person that lived for the weekend because when you're a self-employed or a freelancer, it's like Monday is Tuesday and Sunday, it's all the same kind of, I kind of always work and then can not work if I really need to, or there's something special. Sure. So that was that time where I said, oh gosh, this is what people are talking about. Like Sunday night blues are a real thing. Monday morning hits hard, you know? And so I wanted to sort of elevate that weekend feeling, that mood into the weekday. And, and how can we, how can we stretch that feeling like that we have some more control of our lives than let's say our employer or an office setting or the grind or the commute has control over our lives. We have more control. We make the choices. Um, And for me, that's food because everything for me, everything that feels good to me revolves around, did I eat well today? Did I sit across the table from someone I love? Did we laugh a lot? You know, did I crack open my favorite kind of beer? You know, whatever it is, just kind of stretching life a little bit more instead of just pacing through it so quickly. So how did you go from the weekend cookbook to every day is Saturday? Um, well, I have some brilliant folks at Chronicle <laughs> okay. who, you know, really help me to tweak things. And, and like a lot of times we'll, we'll workshop things, including like the cover. I had like six beautiful, like dynamic shots of food. Right. And we toyed with them and they came back with something really beautiful and elegant that was like had that quiet feeling that you get on the weekend when you have some space and some rest. And so they, you know, I have my ideas and they're so, they're really perfect for me because they let me really insert a lot of my visual, um, my background in photography and my visual point of view. But then they always come up with something even better in certain cases, like the title is perfect. I had said, what about Saturday every day, which means as, as an, as a verb, basically like, Hey, right. you Saturday every day, like do that. Sure. Make uh-huh. that happen, you yeah. know? And they said, well, what about every day is Saturday? Which again, not factually correct, but I'm like, <laughs> Hey, yeah, that feels good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And same like the cut, the inside cover is like that bright neon and bright yeah. pink. That was a surprise that they brought to me that I absolutely love. It was just perfect. Yeah. Did you love all of those things immediately? Like, did um, you love the, the title neon, immediately? The, the title? Saturday? 
You know, to be honest, in a viral like online word, I was like, I can't own that space. I can't own hashtag every day is Saturday because people already say that. There's already t-shirts with that. There's right. mugs with that, you know? And that's a real consideration these days because yeah. it's hard work, you know? Yeah. Um, but I decided that it was just, it was so good and not to worry about that. And I really, you just can't worry about that stuff. You know, right. if your heart is in it and you love it and you feel proud of the, pro- you know, of the project. And I think what's so special about this book is that with my two previous books, by the time you work on it and it comes out, you can still be madly in love with the work, but you might have moved on a little bit in your own personal life to a new stage. Okay. Yeah. But as this book is coming out, these are still the actual recipes I'm feeding my family every night. This is still the philosophy that is guiding me. Yeah. These are still the moments that I'm having with my family every day. So it's so reflective and so sincerely my real life that it just feels, I just feel so excited. Yeah. You know, it's hard to promote, especially if you're like, you know, Midwesterners are kind of like taught to be a little bit more like, hey, guys, you know, right. <laughs> nice, Midwestern nice, you right. know, but I'm really excited. I feel like a different feeling of like shot it from the rooftops. Like, hey, guys, I really think this can work for everybody. Yeah. Are you a Midwesterner? I am. Oh, I'm from, too. Oh, you are? Where are you yeah, from? I'm from Iowa. Oh, my mom's from Iowa. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's so, so funny. fun. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll talk Iowa yeah. after. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Sarah Copeland, author of Every Day is Saturday. After years of getting ripped off by big wireless providers, there's finally a better option. Mint Mobile is the affordable premium wireless service that you buy online, starting at just 15 bucks a month. By cutting out retail stores, Mint Mobile got rid of the crazy overhead costs so that you could score some sweet savings every month. To get your new wireless phone plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash save. That's mintmobile.com slash save. If you can believe it, this is the 50th episode of Salt and Spine. Wow. We launched just over a year ago, and we have loved telling the stories behind cookbooks by sitting down with dozens of your and my favorite cookbook authors, from Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostra and Alison Roman to today's guest, Sarah Copeland. Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we're publishing recipes, author excerpts, holding cookbook giveaways, and so much more. In fact, this podcast is only possible because of listeners like you. And you can Join the Salt and Spine community and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. I want to thank some of our recent sponsors, Rosemary, Karen, Andrea, and Pilar. Thanks so much for joining the Salt and Spine community. You can find out more and join the Salt and Spine community too at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Sarah Copeland. So you actually open this book by referencing another cookbook and another cookbook author, mm-hmm. which I love, and we don't see in a lot of cookbooks, right? The mm-hmm. first sentence to actually right. mention someone else's work. So you right away bring in Diana Henry, mm-hmm. and who's been a guest of ours we love, mm-hmm. and her, and specifically her book, A Bird in the Hand, which right. is her chicken cookbook. What sort of happened when you picked up that cookbook that was so powerful that it had to be the sort of the lead into your cookbook? It's so funny because I got chills as you were saying that because that's how powerful it was for me. You know, I was, I was sitting in my office at Real Simple and we would get like 25, 30, sometimes, you know, cookbooks every month, it seemed like. And I started to feel like, oh my gosh, maybe I don't want to ever write another cookbook. There's so many. 
there's so many and a lot of them are really quite good. Sure. And so, um, but I'd always loved her work. I loved all of her books. And then when that one fell on my desk, it was just like, it felt like home to me. It felt like I looked at that picture on the front. I started reading her words and I was looking at the kinds of recipes and I was like, this is what I imagine myself cooking when these little babies I have are like teenagers. And I'm like, but, but I don't want to wait that long. Yeah. I don't want to wait till I have time, quote unquote, you know, until I have like, oh, well, more self-reliant children and I can get in there and like really get my hands dirty with a chicken again. Or, you know, I have two and a half hours to make something delicious. And I'm like, okay, so what, what is missing here? And it's just, it's about making time mm-hmm. and it's about, it, it was about really connecting like emotionally to that and realizing that a book has that power and yeah. that there is someone who is going to connect with my story in that same way that's going to say, yes, 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 nodding their head and being like, as they're reading, yes, this is my real life and I need this. And this is going to nourish me more than just my body. You know, this is going to nourish the life that I want. Sure. Um, and it was, it was really a pathway forward for me. Yeah. So I'm so grateful to her. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. Um, let's talk about cookbooks for a little bit and other authors then. So obviously that book was powerful when you picked it up. Mm-hmm. Are there other specific cookbooks or other authors who have been really influential to you over the course of your career? Definitely. I would say the three that come to mind right away. I love Nigel Slater. I just love yeah. his writing. I love his work. I love that he can get away with like writing a really serious like cookbook with not a ton of glossy photos. And it's like so good that you would never, ever give it away, you know, because I have like, I'm sure you do too, hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks, but every few years I kind of purge and decide what to keep and I can never give his books away. Right. That's Um, a good sign. Yeah. Dory Greenspan has Uh just been a phenomenal mentor to me. I had an opportunity to go to France, um, very early on, right after culinary school, I had gotten a, a scholarship from the Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, and they gave me a chunk of money to just like make my own path. So I went to Paris and I was um, interviewing chefs about their relationship with local farmers. And I did it in New York City, where I was already living, and then in Paris, talking about how like big major food cities how they are so dependent on the farmers that are like 50 miles out. Both of my grandparents were farmers. So I have a real connection to farmers, right? Iowa farmers, Missouri farmers. Mm -hmm. And so how those farmers were really the lifeline for this super glossy industry that is so different from the farming industry, but yet totally reliant on them. And so I went there to do that. And I had met Dory a few times before that, but she was just so warm and was like, oh, I'll just introduce you to everybody in Paris. And I mean, she really did. And she just opened her doors and said, here's this person, here's this person, and call this person. And why don't you go and have interview that chef? And, you know, she made me not nervous to do those things. And also she's um, a really devoted mother who has not made a compromise for either her career or her relationship with her family. Yeah. And that's just huge for me. Yeah. And likewise, Lucinda Scala Quinn, who used to be uh-huh. um, the food director at Martha Stewart Living for years. And really, she's just so she's been so good to me and such a great example. But also, I love that she is one of the few because, you know, my generation of chefs, cookbook writers, food writers, we sort of all were like, oh, yeah, and we got to go to culinary school and then we got to work in restaurants and like yeah. just dove in head first and like really went for it. She raised her three boys for many years 
and was very devoted to that part of her life first. And then she went on to have an amazing career that she started later. Yeah. And she didn't let anyone give her a hard time about that. She talks about it in one of her books, like I think maybe her third book, her family cookbook, which uh-huh. was like, you know, in this, you know, she's, she started way before me. So she was saying like, you know, in the eighties, nineties, like power boss, like female suit age, she was like, yeah, I'm taking my kids to preschool. And owning it, you know, just really owning who she is and owning like her position and her decisions. And that has been so powerful for me because there is a temptation to want to be like the cool food person, Mm -hmm. you know, just like in high school, there's a temptation (laughs) to want to be like the cool whatever. Right. But the truth is like, this is my authentic story. My little people are huge, huge, huge part of my life. Yeah. Uh, I adore being a parent. I love being a mother and um, to strip that away would just not be right and not be me. Um, so they've get, they've in their own ways given me permission to just totally live in my story. Yeah. And they're adorable. I yeah, love all the pictures you. of them throughout the book. <laughs> thank you. Do you remember your first cookbook? That um, you had as, oh, that I ever had? Yeah. Well, I pined for my best friend's easy bake oven and my mom cooked with us and baked with us. So she was like, why would I buy you an easy bake oven? We have a real perfectly good working oven. (laughs) Right. Um, and so I think the first thing I ever baked from independently was the easy bake oven, like pamphlet with my friend, my best friend at her house. But I definitely remember the first thing I made made on my own, which was the Toll House chocolate chip cookie recipe. Okay. And I've two older sisters and they used to make it constantly and it was always perfect. You know, they're like much older and they did their beautiful thing. And so one day I think I was about seven and I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I'm not doing it right. Right. And my mom let me do it. And I went in there and I like mixed it up and I dolled up my little dough and I baked it. And then I was like, mom, (laughs) it was like a chocolate pancake. Oh no. It was like a, it was like a pancake with chocolate chips in it in the oven. So I'd done something wrong and I didn't want anyone to know. I kind of like started to say mom, but then I like, I was like, no, I can fix this. I pulled it out of the oven. I scraped it into a bowl. I figured out that instead of two and one fourth cups of flour, I had put in two one fourth cups, which would have been a half a cup of flour. Right. Okay. But I, I realized my mistake. I was like, just learning fractions. Right. So I was like, (laughs) that's okay. I'll just add two cups of flour now. And I kid you not, Brian, these were the most delicious cookies ever. Really? So they were like par-baked, right. buttery, and then I folded in two cups of flour and then rebaked them. That's so interesting. We scooped them, rebaked them, <laughs> and everyone was like, these are so good. But then when they found out what actually happened, they've never let me live it right. down. <laughs> and you haven't recreated them in that fashion? No, but I should try. You I should? think maybe yeah. I will. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. So... Back to your your latest cookbook, you have a bunch of little tips and like secret tricks all sort of scattered throughout every day is Saturday to make, you know, what you have on hand work. Like, Mm -hmm. for instance, there's a section on how you can use yogurt to whip up a range of different sauces that just sort of elevate what you're cooking to a different level. What are some of your like favorite tips or tricks like that that you usually sort of offer to people who want to take that concept of every day is Saturday and implement it in their home kitchens? Well, that's definitely a perfect example. I mean, we always, always have yogurt in the house. It's one one of the things we get from our CSA. And so I know that it's always there. So even if, for example, we run out of buttermilk or we don't have sour cream and we're doing tacos or whatever, I always know that I can use yogurt as, as a ingredient, but I can also use it as a sauce. But another one is my green sauce for every day. I mean, Uh we have, um, this is one of my favorite things. It's actually called 
um, the only green sauce you'll ever need, which is basically true because it happened to me where, you know, I was like, I love chimichurri and I love, you know, salsa verde and I love all these different things. And, right. but I'm just not a super fussy, finicky kind of cook. Like if I am out of something, I am not going to the store sure. to get one ingredient ever. I don't yeah. think I've ever done that except for when I'm recipe testing for a client. Yeah. Um, and then I'll be like, Hey babe, can you go to the store? I forgot olives. <laughs> right. You know, he's like, sure. And I have a garden out back or like, you know, we have our CSA. And so the only green sauce you ever need is perfect because you can use, you know, let's say you buy a box of greens and you're like, yeah, I had really good intentions and I'm just not feeling salad, but it's like the spicy greens mix or it's kale right. or you have a bunch of arugula that came from your CSA and you didn't use, or you have half of a, you know, cilantro bunch or parsley you can really use whatever greens you want and for the creamy factor i say you can use miso you can use avocado you know it's like that half of almost about to go brown avocado that wasn't like really pretty enough to slice on your toast or put it you know you didn't use it so i really am into giving you the tools to improvise um the pickled onions are another perfect example i mean that's kind of a tuck away but you could do you know pickled carrots you could do pickled cauliflower whatever it is but the idea is just and I learned that from restaurant life, you know, just always having a sauce or a pickle or something in the fridge that's going to elevate it. But it, even the making of the pickle doesn't need to be like this holy moment where you're like, oh, I'm making pickles today, everybody <laughs> clean right. the room. I'm getting my jars out. It's like, I just make a little quick batch of pickles when I have an extra onion and I just slice them and do the quick shake up in the jar and put it in. I'm not making like a batch of 50 pickles. I'm just making one. We use it over the course of the week, and then I'll do it again next week with whatever we have. Yeah. And one thing that I loved as I was reading through your book to that point is you sort of offer people two approaches to how to sort of tackle the cooking through the week, the sort of more traditional way that people might think of the prep day, right? Right. So you sort of do have like your Sunday afternoon of like getting everything together. Your meals are sort of semi-prepped for the week. But then you also have a more, I think, sort of unique approach of encouraging people to find like moments in time throughout the week. So there's actually a section at the end of the book where you suggest like 10-minute things, 20-minute things, things you can sort of do to help sort of move the cooking along and keep things fresh and prepared in the kitchen. Is that something that you sort of knew you wanted to include when you were putting this book? Or is that something that sort of evolved as you were cooking at home and and approaching food in this way? That's such a good question. I'm so happy you picked up on that. Because I think when I started the book, I was... I really did do like a, a two to three hour, like Saturday or Sunday weekend thing. Cause sure. I was working in the full-time job. When I conceived of this book in my mind and started writing the proposal for it, I, you know, I worked all week long and then I had those juicy weekend moments to do that. And my right. daughter was still young and napping then and it kind of all worked out. But as things have evolved and as I was working through the book, you know, as you know, it takes a couple of years to write one. Right. You know, my second son was born. I left the job, like all these different things happen. And now my pockets of time are a little bit smaller. You yeah. know, I might pick up my daughter from school, but my son is in, you know, in his care for like another two hours and I'll try to squeeze in a little something. And so she and I might, as a fun after-school baking project, be making the chocolate snacking loaf. Uh And while it's baking and the oven is already on, I'm going to roast vegetables for the next two nights because I never want to turn on my oven for just one thing. You know, to me, that's so crazy. Also, my oven is incredibly loud. So once it's on, (laughs) it is like, it has trained me because I'm like, oh, you know, it has trained me to be really efficient with my time. I think being a mother has, being a freelancer where you're just constantly working and there's, you know, wasted time is truly feels like wasted time. Right. Um, but I also think it just gives you the freedom and the flexibility to, to realize that 
if you are that like dive in deep person, this book works for you. But if you are like, I'm already overwhelmed. I can't take on a three hour, you know, cooking weekend. Okay. Maybe don't make the Sunday sauce. Don't make the pork, you know, the pulled pork, but there are 98 other recipes in here that are perfect for you because they're quick and you can do them in short pockets of time. Yeah. I noticed a couple times in your book that you mention when you're finding these pockets of time to throw on your favorite podcast and get to cooking. So I wondered if you had like favorite podcasts that you're listening to lately. Yes. Well, they're, they're really a mix of like business, uh-huh. food and parenting. Okay. <laughs> I love parenting yep. podcasts. So I, I, I mean, I occasionally listen to Jenna Kutcher's podcast for business stuff. I uh-huh. love Beth Kirby's podcast because she has a lot of creatives on there. Um, it's not super consistent, I think, lately, but it used to be. Okay. Um, Julia Tertian's podcast is super fun. Yeah. I think I like the questions she asks and the deep dives and getting to know personalities, which you're so good at too. <laughs> Um, and then I have, um, this parent podcast that I love and she's, um, she's the author of no drama discipline. Okay. Um, and her name is Janet Lansbury and I just love her. And so if ever ever I'm like, I got to get my, out of my food mind and also like, oops, I kind of yelled (laughs) today, you know, I just put that on and that really is helpful. Right. Awesome. Well, we always end with a little game. So I thought we'd play a game sort of riffing off the title Every Day is Saturday by pulling in some other weekdays here too. So we have some little cards in front of you with different categories and those all have ingredients on them. So I'm going to give you a a day of the week with a little bit of a theme um, tied to it. You can draw one, two, whatever um, number of cards you want and see if you can give us a recipe that you would whip up using those. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to be nervous. This will be fun. <laughs> I'm excited. So we'll start, maybe we'll start with an easy one. Let's do Saturday Night Live. So you're hosting friends over to watch Saturday Night Live. I don't know if people still do that okay. anymore. Um, but you're going to prep some things. It's a, a party Saturday night. What okay, so I get make? to pick like a protein. So you get to pick a couple of different cards. Okay. And however many you want. The oh, more you choose, the harder. So Oh really? Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I picked a lot. Oopsies. <laughs> okay. So All right, what do we have? I have tuna, cilantro, potato, spinach, and vanilla bean paste. Okay. Okay, so I am going to in one cast iron pan, I am going to saute my potatoes in some olive oil. With salt, pepper, and harissa. Okay. And I am going to crisp them. And then I'm going to add the spinach on top and let it steam. It's going to be Bloomsburg spinach, just okay. so you know. So yeah. it's like not baby spinach. I right. never use that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll like take a little bit longer to wilt. And then I'm going to throw the tuna on top. So it's not going to get any color. So I'm going to have to put a little more harissa on that, salt and pepper, and then throw tons of lemon on it. And I'm going to cover it. Okay. And let it like slow steam. So it gets like that still pink inside the tuna. Uh-huh. And at the end, I'm going to put all this chopped cilantro on top. And while that's cooking, I'm going to take my vanilla bean paste. I'm going to stir it into some Greek yogurt and I'm going to macerate some strawberries and I will um, spoon it over bowls and top and make like little teeny fake pudding looking like vanilla pudding sure. with, with strawberries on top with lots of strawberry juice. So that's a little bit formal maybe for Saturday night watching, but. We're going to just eat it out of the skillet with okay. some pita bread on the side. Okay. And everyone's going to take a bowl and it's going to be like, chunk off your own tuna. And right. It's going to be a little niçoise. Yeah. 
It, no. Yeah, I love that. The potatoes, the sand, or the potatoes, the tuna. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, this is cool. This okay. is a fun game. Let's do, how about um, Friday Night Lights? So it's a tailgate. There's a oh. football game. You've got like probably a little kerosene grill or something. Okay, I love um, it. What are we going to serve? Okay, you know I'm a Midwestern girl. I love my tailgates. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm not going to pick um, any secret ingredients this okay. time. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Okay, protein is nuts. Oh. Hmm. So I can't grill it. But okay, kale is vegetable. The vegetable is kale and I've got garlic. Okay. So my friend just brought this beautiful grass-fed T-bone, thankfully, though. Okay. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) How nice of her. (laughs) So I know I'm going to make a big kale salad. And this is, I'm a little cheating. I'm riffing off the Ravenwood salad in my book, which Uh I love. So I'm going to shred some kale and some um, cabbage, red cabbage, and toast all my nuts, papitas and all different kinds of nuts and shred some Parmesan and cheese. I'll chop and mince the garlic. Um, and maybe I'll toss it all together and maybe I'll grill the kale, but keep okay. the kale in bigger pieces Sure. Yeah. and the cabbage in bigger, bigger pieces. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to toss it in olive oil, salt and pepper. I'm going to grill the cal- the kale and the cabbage. And then at the end, I'll toss it with the toasted nuts, which I've toasted at home, obviously. Right. Uh-huh. The cheese, the garlicky um, dressing, which of course will have Dijon and lemon juice. That and that will be delicious. the side. Yeah. It pairs perfectly with your friend Seabone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think balancing that out. You always need something like that when you're tailgating. Exactly. How about Taco Tuesday? Oh, so good. So good. Okay. So we've, we've got tortillas, of course. Okay. I'm going to pick three vegetables. Is that crazy? No. Go for it. Okay. Oh man, this is so fun. Ham. Okay. I have never made ham tacos. No, wow. I don't think I have either. Okay. So I have ham, zucchini, beets, and broccoli. And my secret ingredient is doppio concentrato, tomato paste. Okay. Uh huh. So I am going to make a smoky beet taco where I'm going to, because often I let, I steam my beets and I let the water go down too far and it gets a little smoky, but it's delicious. Okay. So um, my husband's like, what's burning? I'm like, no, 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 it's on purpose. Yeah, right. <laughs> smoky beet taco. So I'm going to do smoked beets um, and charred broccoli and zucchini. So the, the taco is going to be mostly about those things. Okay. And then I'm just going to like julienne the ham. So it's going to be like this secret little thinly sliced. And with the tomato paste... Um, I am going to thin that out with some, um, cayenne pepper and tequila and then grind it with some ice. And we're going to have like this crazy margarita on the side. Oh, wow. Okay. That sounds delicious. (laughs) (laughs) I would have never thought of turning tomato paste into a margarita. Me neither, but it didn't seem right in the taco. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great way to use it. Uh, well, this was so fun. Oh, Thank fun you game. so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Brian. What fun. This is awesome. Yeah. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Sarah Copeland's Every Day is Saturday, the Johnny Cakes with Rhubarb and Sour Cherries, and her recipe for a chocolate chip cookie for modern times. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And of course, you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan Stewart, and our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensm.com. 
Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Greetings Adventurers is an award-winning comedy real play D&D podcast that has been running for a decade with 427 episodes in our first campaign. I didn't have back problems or kids when we started. My favorite thing about the show is that it's a group of friends playing D&D who don't take anything too seriously. Right, like would a normal group use a sphere of annihilation as a toilet? We threw so much mayonnaise in there. We just started a new campaign, so it's a great time to jump in. Or you can listen to our first level one all the way to level 20 adventure and have hundreds of hours of entertainment. New episodes every Monday. So listen to Greetings Adventurers on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.